Welcome to The Rob Berger Show. Today we're continuing a series I started uh, about a week ago called How to Invest with Confidence. Today what we're going to talk about is that question that I get so many times, should I pay off all of my debt, or at least all of my non-mortgage debt, before I start investing? So that's the topic we're going to tackle today. Now, before we get there, one administrative matter. You may have been wondering, what's all up with all that fancy talk, The Rob Berger Show? Well, as many of you know, I host the Dough Roller Money podcast. It's a podcast I started back in 2013. I actually sold it along with doughroller.net in 2018, but I still record the podcast uh, for them and enjoy doing that. It comes out twice a month, and uh, that's been great. But I wanted to do a couple of things that I couldn't do in that podcast. One is I wanted to implement video in a way that I thought would be helpful to you so that when I'm talking about a spreadsheet, uh, or Morningstar, or Personal Capital, or what we're going to be talking about today, debt versus investing, I can show you things on the screen. So that was the first thing I wanted to do. The second thing I wanted to do was produce a lot more shows. I didn't want to do just two a month. I'd like to do a, a couple a week. And so I decided to launch another show, The Rob Berger Show, because I'm not very creative when it comes to naming uh, YouTube channels. And uh, But what I thought I'd do here is I'm actually going to be uploading the videos, of course, to YouTube, uh, where you may be watching this. But I'm also going to upload it to the Rob Berger Facebook page. And I'm going to launch a podcast. So for those of you that would prefer to listen to this, perhaps on your commute to work, once we all start commuting to work again, uh, you'll have that opportunity as well. So to get to each of these, very simple, just go to robberger.com forward slash YouTube. That'll take you to the YouTube channel. And Rob Berger is R-O-B-B-E-R-G-E-R. Berger is, well, like hamburger, but with an E instead of a U. So robberger.com forward slash YouTube. To check out the Facebook page and watch the videos there, robberger.com forward slash Facebook. And to subscribe to the podcast, robberger.com forward slash podcast. Really excited about this. And I'm going to talk about a lot of different things. They're all in some way going to relate to money, investing, finances. But I want to go sort of beyond that with a lot of shows too. Because while in the past I've talked a lot about financial freedom, you know, the ultimate goal is not just financial freedom. The ultimate goal is, well, that ultimately, I guess, it's up to you, right? We have to kind of define for ourselves what, why we're on this rock orbiting a, a minor star in a big, bad universe. And uh, so I want to talk about some of those topics. I'm going to have folks on the show, so I'm going to be doing interviews. I'm even thinking about doing office hours where I do live streams and we cover a topic and we sort of roll up our sleeves and get, and, and get our hands dirty. Like, for example, uh, uh, office hours where we figure out exactly what our expense ratio is for our investment portfolio. Maybe you've never done that before. And I'll show you how and we'll kind of walk through it and you can ask me questions. So I have a lot planned with this show and in coming up with a name, it was like, well, I probably won't forget the name The Rob Berger Show. So there you go. Welcome to The Rob Berger Show. Um, podcasts, by the time you listen to this, will have already been uploaded. I, I went back and uploaded uh, shows both to the Facebook page and to the podcast that I've recorded and published on YouTube over the last couple of weeks. So you'll have those. And there you go. So let's get started. This topic, I think, is a, a critical topic. You can't, you know, the, 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 the series that I'm doing, Invest with Confidence, uh, you can't invest with confidence unless you, you're confident in the amount of money you're investing. It's hard to invest in confidence 
when you're putting some money aside every month, but you can't sleep at night because you're scared to death of all of the debt you have, right? Uh, or you've started down some path with some plan uh, between debt and investing, but you're just not sure if it's the right thing. So a very uh, important topic. And what I've found is that a lot of folks online, when you read articles, they go to one or the other extreme. One extreme is, for the love of God, don't ever invest until you've paid off all of your non-mortgage debt. That's sort of the extreme view. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of people that have started to follow that. I've not talked to too many people that actually followed that approach start to finish, but I'm sure they're out there. But that's one extreme view, right? Forget the 401k match you're getting. Forget that your some of your debt might be at 0% interest on a credit card. Doesn't matter. If you've got debt, that is absolutely your number one priority. Forget investing. The other extreme is uh, the opposite. It's, you know, pay your minimum payments, but not a dime more. I don't care what your debt is and shovel everything else into investing. Investing requires compounding or compounding requires time. And the sooner you start, the better off you'll be. Certainly true, but is that the right way to think about this? So what we're going to do in this show is I'm going to walk through some factors that I think you should consider in coming up with the best approach for your particular finances. And then I'm going to give you, I guess you might call them a couple of rules of thumb that I think apply, I'll say to just about everybody, there can always be exceptions. So that's the plan. And I think the starting point is actually a great book by Stephen Covey. You may have read it, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Let's take a look at it on the screen. This is a book I read years ago. And you might say, Rob, this has got nothing to do with debt or investing. And you'd be right, at least nothing directly to do with either. But one of the habits he talks about is that we should begin with the end in mind. And I think that's true in finances as, as much as it is in any part of our lives. We have to begin with the end in mind. And I don't believe for most people, the end is being debt free. That may be part of, of, of financial freedom. It may be one of your financial goals. But at the end of the day, that's really not our end goal, I don't think. I think it's financial freedom. And in fact, as I was climbing out of debt years ago, and we had student loans and car loans and credit card debt and home equity line of credit, we had it all. And I was thinking at the time, you know, we could sell our home. Of course, we'd have to pay off the mortgage and the home equity line of credit. But then I could, we'd have enough equity. I could pay off the school loans, pay off the credit cards, pay off the car loan. We, that's about all we'd have. We wouldn't have any extra after that, but we'd be debt free. And I thought, well, would I be any better off if I did that? And the answer was clearly no. For starters, I have to find a place to live. And I could even rent a, a similar home to what we had back then. It was sort of a starter home, a three-bedroom home. I could rent a home in the very neighborhood we lived in. But then I'm just stuck paying rent month after month. It's, I guess it's technically not debt. Well, not technically. It's not debt. But it's not as if I could stop paying it. If I stop paying it, I get kicked out of the house. And so I thought, you know, yeah, debt is important. And certainly getting out of debt is a worthy and important goal. But it's not the end all. It's not, it's not the primary goal. The primary goal is financial freedom. And when it comes to debt versus investing, certainly we can look at the numbers, and we're going to do that in just a minute. We can look at the numbers and try to think of how we can achieve financial freedom uh, in, in the quickest way possible based on the numbers. But the whole question of debt versus investing is also about our own you know, sense of, of, of security and comfort. You know, I think about folks that have been plugging away at debt, maybe maybe 
uh, putting every extra dollar they had into, say, relatively low-rate student loans. And, uh, and then we hit COVID-19. And I, I, I kind of can't help but wonder if they don't look back on what could have been years of, of not saving more money, not investing, putting all this money on low interest rate debts, and now hitting this global pandemic, certainly no one predicted it, but here we are, and they've got, they've got really no um, safety net. You know, they probably wish they could get a lot of that money back, and unfortunately, they can't. So part of this is not just about the numbers, what's your interest rate versus how much will you make on investments? That's important. We'll talk about it. But it's also a sense of security as you move through life and the ability to handle the unexpected. So with that, let's sort of walk through some factors that I think are important in analyzing this issue. And I should say, by the way, as I was researching, doing some research uh, for this show, I came across uh, Mark Cuban, who I'm sure many of you, most of you know, and he actually thinks you should, he didn't really come out and say you should never invest until all your debts paid off, but that's kind of what he was saying. And here he says, whatever interest rate you have, it might be a student loan with a 7% interest rate. If you pay off that loan, you're making 7%. That's your immediate return, which is a lot safer than trying to pick a stock or trying to pick real estate or whatever it may be. And certainly one, I suppose, might not take too much issue with what he said, Although it still raises the question, should I really ignore investing? Should I ignore my 401k? Should I ignore IRAs, uh, for example, and just pay off the debt? And in thinking about that, one question, of course, is, well, how much debt do you have and how long will it take you to pay it off? I don't hear people talk about that so much in these discussions. I found this report from the USA Today. Frankly, these numbers surprise me. Uh, I was surprised that the average U.S. household debt in student loans is 50000 That seemed high to me, but maybe that's right. Auto loans are $29,000. Uh, credit cards, almost 17000 And this is from a couple of years ago. Certainly now that we've entered COVID-19 and all of the issues related to this pandemic, uh, those numbers could be higher. And I thought to myself, you know, step one for anybody is how much debt do you have and how long is it going to take you to pay it off? And uh, there's the math side of this equation, and then there's the, I'll call it the non-math side. Let's start with the math side. This was a, a calculator I actually built, and not fancy at all. It's on my site, allcards.com. I'll leave a link to it below the video. And you can put in how much debt you have. I'm going to actually use some of these numbers here, which, which come to around $100,000. I'm excluding the mortgage. Uh, so if you had $100,000 in debt, and again, uh, you can use this calculator for your specific circumstances. I know not everyone has that much, and maybe you have more. And uh, if we had multiple debts, we'd want to come up with sort of a weighted average interest rate. Certainly the credit cards are going to be much higher, presumably, than, say, student loans. Let's just say, I don't know, we'll say the average debt is interest rate is 9%. And uh, the minimum payment's going to vary from one type of debt to another. On $100,000, let's assume the minimum payment is $2,500 across all of your debt. And if we calculate that, you can see it's going to take about four years to pay off this debt. And you're going to pay over $19,000 in interest. I think this is the starting point. As you try to figure out what's best for you, you should have an understanding of how long it will take you to pay off this debt. And here, you can then add extra payments if, for example, above and beyond the minimum payments, 
you have, we'll just make up a number, you have $500 more a month that you can either invest with, uh, pay off debt, or perhaps a combination of the two. How will that affect it? Well, it brings it down to 3.2 years versus almost four. That's the starting point. Now, keep in mind, the interest rate's important. If we take this up to 11, just as an example, you know, it jumps up, not a huge amount, but the interest, of course, jumps up. And if we go back down to, say, 7%, the amount of interest goes down significantly. The years to debt payoff don't change as much as you might think, but the total interest uh, uh, that you pay will. So step one is, how long will it take you to get out of, out of debt? That's the first factor to consider. There's a big difference between someone who can be out of debt in 6 to 12 months and someone who take, will take 5, 7, or 10 years or more to get out of debt. Now, the second thing to think about as it relates to your, your debt, and you can't use a calculator for this, but it's just as important, and that is how likely are you, as you're trying to pay down your debt, to go into more debt? I mean, it'd be nice to think we'll never make any mistakes, uh, we'll never succumb to that you know electronic gadget, which would be my weakness, uh, that we really can't afford and end up charging on a credit card. That we'll, We won't do that that we're, we're done with debt, we're going to just pay it off, and we're done. And th that's the hope. But is it practical? I can tell you in my own experience, paying off debt was kind of like two steps forward, one step back. I mean, we made some mistakes along the way. Also, think about something like a car. If it's going to take you seven or eight years to pay off your debt, are you going to need a new car in that time? And if you are, are you saving for it so that you can pay, pay cash for it? If you're not, you could work five, six, seven, eight years to pay off your debt, ready to invest, and all of a sudden you've got to spend more money on a car because your car just died on you. The point is, is that, yes, these calculators can be helpful in estimating how long it will take you to get out of debt and how much it will cost in interest. I highly recommend them. You should use them. But recognize that there's more going on than just the numbers. We have to deal with real life. And we have to deal with our own fallibility and we make mistakes along the way. And sometimes uh, that happens. But so this is sort of the first factor. How much debt do you have? How long will it take you to pay it off? And sort of a, an assessment of how likely are you to actually pay it off in that amount of time. Now, the second thing that I think you should consider is the type of debt you have. And it comes up in a couple of different ways. And I'll give you two, two examples. Imagine someone with student loans and they're participating in the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, PSLF, where you want an income contingent repayment uh, um, framework and you make these minimum payments for 10 years and then whatever balance is left is forgiven, right? So if you qualify that for that and you're working towards it, it would be absolute insanity to pay more than your minimum payment. There's no, there'd be no reason to do that. You would only want to make your minimum payment. So that's one example of where the type of debt uh, really matters in this equation. Uh, the second kind of debt in terms of making a minimum payment versus paying more are credit cards. I'm going to actually show you on the screen. Um, this, is my, this is my credit card statement. I'm looking at it now to make sure my credit card number is not on here anywhere. I don't think it is. Um, this was from a couple of months ago. Th this was an unusual month. As you can see from the previous month, we charged about $361. That's actually low. We normally put a couple of thousand dollars on this card. I I'm not exactly sure why this one was almost 
uh, or over $7,000. I know we went on vacation, so that was part of it. But what I what's really important here is this box that shows you how long it will take you to get out of credit card debt if you only make the minimum payment. And in this case, if I only made the minimum payment, it would take me 12, it's almost unbelievable, 12 years to pay off this debt, 12 years. And I'd end up paying over $10,600 to pay off a $7,300 debt. Now, why 12 years? The reason is, is that credit card debt is a, is a form of what they call revolving credit. And it's different than installment loans. Think of an installment loan as a mortgage or a car loan or a student loan. Those kinds of loans, you make the minimum payment and whatever that minimum payment is, it that's the minimum payment for the life of the loan. It never changes. Even if you pay extra, you pay extra one month, the next month, the minimum payment hasn't changed. It's set in stone. Uh, the only result of paying extra will be you pay your, your the loan off sooner. Credit cards don't work that way. The minimum payment is recalculated every single month. And it's usually, it varies from um, credit card company, from one credit card company to the next. As you can see it from the numbers here, my minimum payment is $219. So uh, I'm trying to do the math here. That's, um, I guess, 3%. I think that's right. I, what I've seen in most cases uh, would be 1% of the balance plus uh, any outstanding interest and fees. But again, it can vary from card to card. The point is it gets recalculated every month. So as you pay your balance down, your minimum payment goes down. And if you keep lowering the amount you pay down to that minimum payment uh, month after month, you end up paying a truckload in interest. And it takes you a long time to get out of debt. Again, in this case, as you can see, it would take me 12 years. Now we paid this off in full, so we don't have to worry about that. Now, you'll notice on this statement as well, there's another uh, row in the box. And it says, well, instead of making the minimum payment, what if you paid $242 uh, a month? Now, at first blush, that's like, well, that's not that much different than 219, the minimum payment. So, you know, an extra 20 or 30 bucks, does that, you know, I guess, $23. How can that drop the time it'll take to pay this loan off from 12 years to three years? It's a big, it's a big drop. Again, the answer is this assumes you pay $242, not just this month, but every month going forward until the debt's paid off, even as the required minimum payment goes down. This is a really important aspect of credit card debt that I think a lot of people don't appreciate. Making the minimum payment on a credit card uh, bill versus making the minimum payment on a student loan or a car are worlds apart. There's, there, it's, you know, it's like uh, lightning and lightning bugs. They may sound similar, but they ain't, right? Uh, making just the minimum payment on a, on a revolving line or revolving credit like a credit card will take you a very long time to pay it off. On the other hand, you know, a five-year car loan, making the minimum payment, well, you'll pay it off in five years uh, because the minimum payment never changes. So this is a, another factor to consider as you evaluate your own debt. If you've got high interest rate credit card debt, that needs to be a priority. It doesn't necessarily mean you don't invest. We'll come to that uh, when we get to the, the, the strategy that I'll suggest or the rules of thumb at the end, but it's still a really important factor. Now, the next thing to think about, of course, are interest rates. So I looked at the Fed just to get an idea, and here are the interest rates 
uh, as of, I think this is February, yeah. And again, these are averages. What really matters are the interest rates that you're being charged, right? But if you look at this, credit cards uh, that assess interest, meaning those folks who don't pay their balance off in full, the average interest rate, 16.61%. That's very, very high. Um, and But compare that to car loans. A 48-month car loan, the average was 529 60-month uh, car loan, 515 Interesting to me that it was actually lower slightly on a longer uh, car loan. Um, the, the point is interest rates matter. How you should prioritize your financial goals when it relates to debt versus investing, uh, a big part of that is the interest rate that you're paying. Uh, and if the, as the lower your rate, then the more the chances are it's more likely that you should just make the minimum payment and funnel as much as you can into investing. On the other hand, if you're paying you know, 16% on a credit card or in some cases well over 20%, that needs to be a priority. Now, um, the next factor is uh, we're going to move away from debt for a moment. On the investing side, do you have a company match? Do you have a 401k or 403b at work? where your employer matches part, a part of your contributions. And I found a nice little calculator. Again, I'll leave uh, links to this below the videos. Um, this is, but this happens to be on uh, Fidelity's website. And let me just walk through the numbers I put in here before we look at the results. I assumed an annual salary of 75,000. You'd get a, a yearly increase of 3%. Uh, I assumed uh, that I assumed a 5% contribution. So you were contributing 5% of your pay to uh, your 401k, they actually give you an option to compare your current contributions with what would change if you increase them. We're going to actually come back to that in a minute. And then I assumed an employer match. I assume 50%, uh, 50 cents on the dollar. I Some employers match a dollar, uh, but I assumed 50% up to 6% of your salary, which is kind of standard. And I assumed we'd in, we would just invest for 10 years for this analysis. Um, and that we'd get a rate of return of 8% and that we had no money to start with. And the thing I want to show you here when we look at the, the results is that the company matching this graph is, is yellow. And the numbers get rather big. I mean, by the time you get to 10 years, the company match is worth almost $21,500. Uh, that's really, that's a big number after just uh, 10 years. And that's got to be a significant factor as you evaluate whether to focus just on your debt or to look also at investing. The company match is critical. By the way, I know some extremists who will say, doesn't matter, pay off your debt. I don't care if it's 0%. I don't care if you've got the best company match in the world. It's all debt. I, honestly, I, I, can't even, I can't think of any rational argument to support that view. It's just it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and I think these numbers bear that out. By the way, if we were to take new contributions up just 1%, let's see, we ended up at the end with just under 100,000. They don't total it for us, but just under 100,000. And if we if we add that 1%, what's it do? Look at that, just 1%. Now we're, we're approaching probably about $120,000 uh, just from that 1% difference. That's something to think about too, because oftentimes it's not just debt versus investing. Uh, oftentimes the best approach is to do a little of both. So that is to say, pay a little extra on some debt and invest. And here, seeing the difference of just a 1% increase in your contribution can help you 
you know, assess exactly where you should draw that line. So again, I'll leave a link uh, below the video to this calculator, but it's on Fidelity and it's just called their, con their contribution calculator. So you could, uh, you could Google it as well. Now, the next factor, again, we're sticking with the investing side now, is uh, the tax benefits. When it comes to a 401k or an IRA, and this is true whether it's a traditional or a Roth, they have tax benefits. As you probably know, with a traditional uh, retirement account, whether it's a 401k or IRA, you get to deduct the amount of your contributions from your taxes. So if you contribute, let's just say, a total of $10,000 between the two accounts, that's more than the IRA limit, but between the two accounts, and you can deduct that and your um, your marginal rate is, let's just say, 30% between state and federal, you'll save $3,000 in taxes. That's the traditional side. On the Roth side, you get no tax benefits when you make the contributions, but they grow tax-free. We take them out in retirement in, qual in a qualified distribution, which is just IRS speak for not taking your money out early. Now, it actually means a little bit more than that, but uh, when you take it out in retirement like you're supposed to, you pay no taxes. So you get these great tax benefits, uh, again, whichever one you choose. But here's the thing. They have annual contribution limits. And if you go a year without contributing, you can't make it up later, right? You can't focus on your debt for the next five years and then call up the IRS and say, you know, I didn't make an IRA contribution in 2020 because I was focused on debt. I kind of regret that now. Can I go back? Can I put some money in now and just attribute it to 2020, right? Yeah, they won't let you do that. So if you don't invest now in retirement accounts and you miss a year or 10, <laughs> that opportunity is gone. It's gone um, forever. And when it comes to, say, traditional retirement accounts, I found another uh, calculator that I thought was useful, again, on Fidelity. This is the take-home pay calculator. And so what I did was I assumed $75,000 salary, a state and local tax rate of 5%, federal income tax rate of 25%, and contributing, in this case, I just assume 10%. And what they do is they say, okay, that's a $313 um, semi-monthly pre-tax contribution. But then what they do is they calculate how much your take-home pay will go down. So you won't go down dollar for dollar because you're going to get a tax break. So in this case, and again, it's an estimate. But your $313 semi-monthly, and I'm actually going to change it. Let's just make it monthly, make the numbers a little easier to understand. So at a monthly basis, it'd be $625. Let's imagine you've got that extra $625 and you can either pay down debt or invest. If you invested in your 401k with these assumptions, your take-home pay goes down by $438 because of the tax break. It's almost a $200 difference. So one approach would be, Go ahead and invest the 625 in your 401k, in this case, a traditional 401k. You're going to get that tax break. So you'll have an extra 200 bucks that you could then put towards your debt. It's one option. The real point, though, is to recognize that investing in retirement accounts and weighing that against paying off debt, it's not just about what's your interest rate on the debt and what do you think your expected return is going to be on the investments. It's also about the, the other advantages that come with retirement account investing, whether it's the employer match, which we've talked about, or the tax benefits, whether it's, again, the Roth, you don't get an immediate tax benefit, you get one later, or in this case, the immediate tax benefit you get, again, you can't take advantage of these things unless you're contributing uh, a really important factor to uh, consider. So the last thing I'll just mention is 
We all have many financial goals. It's not just debt and investing. You want to save an emergency fund. You may want to save for a child's education. You might want to uh, buy a house. And sometimes, you know, figuring out the exact right uh, strategy for how much you're going to put towards each of these goals, it's as much art as it is science. Uh, but I think it's almost always a mistake to focus on just one of them and ignore all of the others. That, that's almost never the optimal strategy. So with that, you may be saying, Rob, appreciate that. Appreciate these calculators. Appreciate your thoughts on this. But now, what do I do? What's the answer? Can you give me, can you boil it down real simple for me? Well, I can. I can boil it down for you. At least this is my approach. And I think it's a, an approach that would pretty much work for just about everyone. And here it is. So step one, if you have a 401k match, you should contribute enough to get the match. I think that that's true under just about any set of circumstances. Think about it. Let's imagine you've got 20% credit card debt, but you've got a 50 cents on the dollar match at work. You're going you're gonna to get a 50% return as soon as you make the contribution. Uh, that is a huge benefit. And to, to let that go and, and to, to waste it, if you will, it's hard to imagine a situation where that makes much sense. So rule of thumb number one, if you have a match at your company, 401k, 403b, whatever it might be, I think on just about, maybe there's an exception, but I can't think of one. You should take advantage of the match. Contribute what you need to to get the match. And by the way, you might not be able to do that right away. That may take you some time to get to that level, that contribution level. That's okay. We all got to start somewhere. I certainly didn't match out or max out my 401k when we started. That's, so that's step one. Step two, or I guess rule of thumb number two, if you have high interest credit card debt, that's got to be your next priority, right? Now, one thing and the first thing I would do is try to refinance the high rate credit card debt. One of the things that I track on allcards.com are balance transfer credit cards. And, uh, you know, right now in that market, probably the best cards uh, offer 0% on balance transfers up to about 21 months. Uh, there's usually a, a, a balance transfer fee of about 3% is sort of standard, but still obviously far better than if you're paying 15 or 20% uh, interest. There are some cards with um, no fee balance transfers, although they seem to have started to disappear. Uh, but you can find those every now and again. But that's the first thing. If you can uh, transfer high rate credit cards to 0% balances, then I think that's what you should do. We did it and we rolled them over to new ones. It took us several years to get out of our credit card debt. Um, and uh, part of it was strategic. We were actually moving some home equity line of credit debt onto credit cards through balance transfers because they were 0%. And uh, we would just roll them over to another one. Uh, so that's the first thing. If you can refinance your credit card debt down to 0%, then I would just, what we did was just made the minimum payment. There's no reason to pay more. Uh, on a 0% credit card. Uh, when you get to the end of it, you can roll it over to a new one. Um, but that, that's the first thing. If you can't do that, maybe you don't qualify, maybe your credit's been dinged in the past, you just can't get a very good 0% balance transfer credit card, then in my, to me, this has got to be your next priority. Match out, uh, mac, uh, contribute to your 401k to get the match, and then focus entirely on this high rate credit card debt. Uh, that would be uh, my approach because it's just too costly and it's got to be a priority. Now, once you've either refinanced to 0% your credit card debt or you've paid it off, then I think the next step 
depends on your tax bracket. For the vast majority of people, I think the next step is a Roth IRA. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Unless you're in the top tax bracket living in a state like New York or California that tax on another 10% or more where your, your, your marginal rate can be 50%, your, most people are probably better off with a Roth IRA. And there's one advantage to a Roth IRA. You can always take out the contributions you make to a Roth IRA at any time without taxes or penalties because you've already paid the taxes on it. Remember, this is a Roth. And so assuming you qualify, you're not over the income limits, I think that's a nice advantage. Now, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, you don't want to use that fact um, to make some bad decisions with your retirement money because the goal is to put it in there and never take it out. On the other hand, you know, things like COVID-19 happen and emergencies come up. And what I like about this approach is that it can, it can help you if you enter a true emergency. And, uh, and I think generally, if you're in the lower tax brackets, the Roth is the way to go anyway. If you're in a high tax bracket and that, that immediate tax savings is just too good to pass up, then um, you, could, you could further max out your 401k if you're not already doing it. Um, you may be, by the way, in a position where you make so much that you're not allowed to deduct uh, your contributions to an IRA. You'll want to figure that out. But the 401k, you could max it out. So those those are sort of my primary uh, three rules of thumb. Get the company match. That's a critical. Deal with your high interest rate debt. Refinance it to 0% if you can. Otherwise, make that your priority. And then either a Roth IRA for those in, the, in I think, just about everyone, because I'd say just about anyone who's not in one of the higher brackets, or if you really are in a higher bracket and you need that, that deduction, then you could max out your 401k. There's always more to do. If you have a high deductible health plan, you can start investing through an HSA. You can, of course, always invest in a taxable account. But here, I'm kind of just focused on those, I'll call it those early years where you're dealing with debt and investing at the same time time. Those are my rules of thumb. They, I think they not only allow you to take advantage of the benefits of investing, including investing in retirement accounts, they let you tackle your truly high interest rate debt one way uh, or another. And um, by not focusing entirely on just debt, you're also starting to build up savings, whether it's in the 401k and IRA. And that can be really important when the unexpected things in life come along, and they often they often do. The final thing I'll say is that multitasking should be viewed as the norm. This idea of let's ignore all of our financial goals and all of our financial priorities and just focus on one is frankly silly. There's no reason to do that. Yeah, it might be it might seem easier. You know, you just sort of black and white. Just. I don't have to worry about the interest rates. Don't have to worry about those calculators on fidelity. I can just put blinders on and just focus on debt. The problem is the results are just not optimal. Uh, you hurt yourself doing that. And, and so multitasking, you know, it's okay. Is it an exact science? No. Is there going to be one right answer for everyone? No. And you might even change it as you go. You, you might be periods of time where you focus more on the investing or more on the paying off the debt. That's okay. You'll learn as you go. But I think this is a, a sort of a holistic approach to debt versus investing that I think will work for the vast majority of people most of the time. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this show. The, I guess in some ways, the first Rob Berger show. If you have any questions, leave them in the comments below. You can also email me 
at rob at robberger.com. And we'd love to hear from you. I read every email. Until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.